Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to our worship service this morning, and I want to welcome all of those who are watching online, and we're so glad that you've joined us this morning, and uh, just wanted to just say again that if you're a guest this morning, we're really glad that you're here, and if this is your first or second or third time or whatever, I know that there may be some of you here who may be looking for a church home, and if you are, right out in the grand foyer, um, we've got a guest services, we've got a gift for you. And if you have any questions, we'd love to be able to, to help you out with those questions because we'd love for you to consider making Central Community Church your permanent church home, okay? Hey, before we get started in our message today, um, Phil and his whole family are here today, and I want to have the opportunity to introduce you to him. So his better half, Kendra, and his two beautiful daughters, Michaela and Chloe, would you guys just stand and let's welcome them, should we? That's so cool. We are so glad that you guys are here, and so I just want to say welcome, okay? Well, we're in a series right now entitled, If I Can Only Imagine. We all know that song. We've heard that song. We've sang that song. We've heard it on the radio. Maybe some have even bought that song. There's something about that song that um, when, whenever I hear it, it just makes me think about what my life is going to be like after I leave this earth. And I'm reminded, as we talked about last week, is that every minute that I live, I'm a little bit closer to that time when I will meet my Lord and Savior. And today, what I want to do is I want to continue on with this series, and last week we talked about, is heaven a real place? And we found out, yes, it is a real place. And today, I want to go a little bit in the other direction, but I'm going to go a little bit different than maybe what you think, and I want to talk about, is hell a real place? And it's really important that we know the answer to this question, isn't it? And you know why? Because this is one of those questions that you can't get wrong. Would everybody agree? When it comes to hell, you can't get this one wrong. And so that's what I want to focus on today. I want to make sure that when we leave here today, once again, that there are no questions. But I'm also going to give an opportunity for anybody who hasn't made that decision to make that decision today. And whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online, we've already, we had some, some decisions in first service, but I just wanna give you that opportunity. And the reason is, is because I want you to feel good about, I want you to feel secure in knowing where you're gonna spend eternity, and that's possible. There was a Pew research that was done um, not too long ago and it was really interesting because they asked three questions. And the first question that they asked was, do you believe in God? Okay? And you know what they found out in this research? That 87% of the people who were surveyed said they believed in God. Okay? The second question they asked is kind of what we talked about last week. Do you believe that heaven is a real place? 74% said they believe that heaven is a real place. Well, you know what they asked for the third question, don't you? Do you believe that hell is a real place? 59% of the people said that they believed that hell is a real place. So 87% said that they believed in God. 74% said they believed that heaven is a real place but only 59% of the people said that they believed that hell was a real place. That's kind of sad. 
At the same time, it's very alarming. You know why? Because the source of information is the same. I want you to understand something about God's Word. I believe it is infallible, and I believe it is inerrant. When the Bible says this is the Word of God, I believe that it truly is the Word of God. I also know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm never going to understand everything that's in that Bible. But by faith, I can trust my Father's heart. You see, one of the things that we deal with in the world today is that people want truth to be whatever they need it to be. But what I want you to understand is truth is God's word, and it is the standard that we will all be judged by. That's truth that I just gave you. Now, here's something I want you to see in the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 6, look what it says here. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because, did you hear what it says? It is impossible for God to lie. Doesn't that make you feel good? It's impossible for God to lie because it goes against his very nature. And so what I just want to remind you today is that what God says in his word, you can trust. But I also need you to remind you this. Trust is a choice. So choose to trust God. A couple years ago, I got a chance to go to Israel. And I want to show you a picture here. One of the things that I saw a lot of in Israel were shepherds. I mean, there were flocks scattered all over the countryside. One of the things that I got to do, and it was one of my favorite parts of going to Israel was, I got to spend some time talking with a shepherd. This guy was 97 years old, okay? He's been a shepherd all of his life. Now, in this conversation that we had, we talked about a lot of different things, but our conversation began to zero in on a specific illustration that Jesus taught about. We're going to read about it in a little bit. And it's the illustration of the goats and the sheep. Now, as we were having this conversation, I asked him about the sheep and the goats, and one of the things that he shared me was, he said, is you can look all over the countryside, and even today you can see that in the flocks you will find both sheep and goats. They're mixed together. Okay? And then he said, however... There are two times during the day when every shepherd must separate the sheep from the goats. Oh, now I'm intrigued. So obviously I asked him, so when are those times? And he said, one of them is grazing time, and the other is when they sleep. So he continued on, because like you, I'm asking, okay, so why though? Why did they have to? And then he tells me, he says, sheep and goats have very different temperaments. Sheep are very docile. They're very laid back. And sheep only eat what's below their head. Goats eat what's both above and below their heads. Sheep are laid back and docile, I said. But 
um, goats, on the other hand, they're very aggressive, and sometimes they will charge sheep. But a goat also eats everything. A sheep will eat the grass and almost level it off, whereas a goat will eat everything, including the root. And so a goat tends to destroy things. And so I'm trying to gather all of this, and then I said to him, I said, okay, so what you're telling me, Wiz, is that at mealtime and at sleep time, they have to be separated. And he said, exactly. And so the next question, obviously, is why? Now listen to this very carefully. Both mealtime and sleeping time are a form of rest. Okay? Both mealtime and sleeping time are a form of rest. And sheep and goats cannot rest together because the goats will keep the sheep from resting. I want you to think about something very carefully. You know how at times Jesus referred to heaven as entering into our eternal rest? Stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read from Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read verses 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I realize in life that there are two paths. One leads to heaven, and the other one leads to hell. Lord, once again, I want to make sure that I'm on the right path, and it's probably not the one that is most traveled. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the majority of the teaching on the subject of hell came from Jesus himself. Jesus, in fact, the Bible tells us, spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that there are some 70 times that Jesus spoke specifically on the topic of hell. Jesus said something like this about hell. He said that it was a place of torment. It was a place where the fire does not go out. 
He says it's a place where there will be gnashing of teeth. He describes it as a place of separation. In other words, what I gather from Jesus is this. He wants to make sure that we are all crystal clear that hell is not a place we we want to ever find ourselves. Have any of you ever had a friend come to you and say, hey, listen, I know I'm going to hell, but a bunch of my buddies are going to be there, so we're just going to party all the time. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? There are a lot of times that make jokes about hell, but I want to share with you, hell is one of those things that I would never, ever joke about. Hell is a real place, and it's a place of separation. It's a place of darkness. I want you to look at something in the scriptures here in Matthew chapter 10 here, okay? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know who's talking about this? You know who's saying this? Jesus is. And he's saying that we need to be aware that there is the devil, that there is these angels that are out there, and what they're trying to do is destroy Jesus in you. They want to take you to hell with them. That's what the devil wants to do. His goal in life, he doesn't care about you, but he hates the Jesus in you. And what he wants to do is he wants to take as many as he possibly can to suffer what he has been given since the beginning of time. Now, here's a question that I want to ask you. Have you ever wondered why in the world would Jesus spend so much time warning people about hell? You know what I call it? Love. The Bible tells us God's will is that all men would be saved. I want you to hear that one more time for all of you here. God's will is that all men would be saved. That's his desire. God's desire is to spend eternity with each and every one of us in this room and everyone who's watching online. God wants to spend eternity with all of us. We all know we're going to die. And so what's going to happen is is that how are we going to stand before God? Are we going to stand before Jesus as Savior, or are we going to stand before him as judge? And that's what I want to make sure you know the difference here this morning. My dear friends, think about this. If there was no hell, if there was no punishment, then why did Jesus have to come? There's no need for a crucifixion. There was no need for him to live the perfect life under the law, thus fulfilling the law. It didn't matter. No. Jesus came because God, his father, said to him, Jesus, I need you to go into the world and pay the debt of sin. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to live the perfect life under the law, thus fulfilling the law. And then, Jesus, I need you to go to the cross. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be killed. My fury, my anger towards sin is going to be placed on your shoulders, but it's the only way that the debt of sin can be paid, and it's also the only way, Jesus, that I can spend eternity with all of those that I have created. My friends, I need you to understand, God wants you to be with him in eternity in a place of joy, in a place where there's no sorrow, a place where there is nothing but love.
Now, there's something else I need you to understand. Hell was never something that was prepared for God's people originally. I want to say that again. Hell was never a place that was created to punish God's people. Let me show you what I mean here. Look at the scriptures here. In Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you see that word, prepared? It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at this next one in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of time. There's that word again, prepared. My dear friends in Christ, that's what God prepared for you. He prepared a place called heaven. That's where he wants to spend eternity together, all of us. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I want to remind you that when it comes to heaven or hell, we do have a choice. Think about this for a minute, okay? When it comes to salvation, I want all of us to be reminded that God is pro-choice, okay? I want you to know that there is, there is a choice that we have. Take a look at this. And I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In this world, as I said earlier in my prayer, there are two roads. One leads to eternal death, which is separation from God in hell, and the other one leads to eternity in heaven where you are with the Lord. I want you to know that God allows you and I to make a choice. God will not force you to choose heaven. Did everybody hear that? God will not force you to choose heaven. He will allow you to make that choice. What we have here in the scripture verse is an event that's going to take place in the future. This is the event that's going to take place for unbelievers who are going to stand before God. And when an unbeliever stands before God, they don't stand before him as Savior, they stand before him as judge. Did you notice the Bible tells us that there were books that were opened? What does that mean? There were books that were opened. Here's what it means. Apparently, somebody's keeping a record of everything that we're doing on this life in this earth. Every thought, every act, every tear that you've shed, everything is being recorded in this book. 
is kind of like a courtroom, except there's only one other person in the courtroom, and that's the judge. There's no prosecution, there's no defense witness, it's just Jesus, and he's standing there as judge. And the very first thing he's going to do is he's going to open up the book, and it's called the book of life. If your name is not written in the book of life, guess what? He goes to the next book. In this book that we just refer to right here will be written all of those things that have been done on this earth. And then for the unbeliever, the Lord Jesus will say to him just what we read. I gave you all of these opportunities for you to know me. I want to stop there for a moment. I just wanted you to think about something. Can you think about times on this earth when you've seen a glimpse of heaven? The day my kids were born. The day my grandchildren were born. A sunset. A sunrise. An answered prayer. A tornado. Seeing the ocean. All of these are examples about how God gets our attention to reveal himself to us in addition to his word. But for the unbeliever who has rejected him and rebelled against him, he will stand before the Lord and then he will say to him, when did I see you sick? I never saw all these things. And the Lord will say to him, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. At that moment, they will depart from the Lord and be separated from him for eternity. That sends shivers through my soul. But I want you to know something. That's not what will take place for the believer. You see, the judgment for the believer has already happened. Well, when did that take place? Thanks for asking. The day that Jesus became the Lord of your life, the day that you received the gift of what Jesus did on the cross, your judgment came. And as God looks upon you, your judgment was sealed by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have put on his righteousness. So when God looks at us, all he sees is what Jesus did for us. And then he says, welcome to my eternal joy. Now, I want to pause there for a moment, and I kind of want to go a different direction, okay? And the direction I want to go to is something that I think that we all deal with a lot. I know I have. And that is this. A lot of times the world will say to us something like this. So if your God is so loving, would you please explain to me how could he send people to hell? How many of you have ever heard that before? Anybody? I mean, we hear it all the time, don't we? Okay, if your God is such a God of love, can you tell me, how in the world does he send people to hell? And I want you to know, I think that's a great question that we need to answer. And I just want to show you a couple things in this question this morning, because it may be for you here this morning, and it may be for someone that God's going to bring into your life or has already brought into your life. Here we go. Take a look at this. Here's the question. How can a loving God send someone to hell? All right, I want you to think about this. Let's define that term, loving God, okay? What do they mean by a loving God? 
Let me just tell you what I believe that the world says and how they define a loving God. The world defines a loving God as this, a loving being who is non-confrontational and tolerates whatever we want to do. I'm gonna say that again. The world's definition of a loving God is a God who is non-confrontational, a loving being who is non-confrontational and tolerates whatever it is that we want to do. Would you agree with me? Think about this. The world does not want truth. You know what truth is? Truth is whatever I need it to be in my life. Look at everything that we're doing right now. We don't want to punish crime. We've got this big mess where we can't get along with each other because we're so fixated on this, on this pestilence, this COVID that's come up. I mean, our lives are just turned upside down. We can't even hardly talk with each other because we're afraid that a fight might break out because if we talk about a mask or a, or a, or a vaccine or something, man, anything could happen, right? But here's what I want you to understand. That's not how the Bible describes a loving God. You know how the Bible describes a loving God? Take a look at this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. What does the Bible say to us? The Bible tells us God is love. Now here's what I want you to know about that. If God is love, then he cannot possess love like you and I have. I love my wife. My wife loves me. Did she always love me? No, because there was a time in our lives where she didn't know who I was. I didn't always love her because I didn't know where she was. So love is something that we possess. If God is love, then he cannot possess love like we can. Rather, the Bible tells us he is the very definition of love, so that means it is, he is incapable of doing anything unloving. Do you understand that? If God is a God of love, he does not possess love like we have because rather he is the definition of love, so he cannot do anything that is unloving. Take a look at this. This is what we call the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be both true and untrue at the same time. Now think about this, this is what it means. If God is love, then God cannot do anything that is unloving. If he is love, he cannot at the same time do anything that is unloving. If God is love then, everything that he does has to be an expression of his love. Amen. Let's look at the second part of this. How can a loving God send someone to hell? Let's focus on that word send. If I write you a letter, I come and I, I write you a letter, I fold it, I address the envelope and I send it to you, I put a stamp on it and you get the letter, you haven't done anything, right? I've done everything because I'm the one who has done the sending. I've done everything, I've done all the action work, right? All you've done is received it. Now I wanna show you something in the scriptures about this kind of thinking. Do you remember this scripture verse? 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You know what that sounds like to me? Sounds to me like God gave somebody a choice, did he not? What did God say? God had this incredible garden. He says, Adam, look at all of the fruit here. Look at all the trees. It's all yours. However, Adam, you cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was he saying to Adam and Eve? I don't want robots. I've given you a free will, and I'm giving you the right to even make the wrong choice. Take a look at this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you remember this story? Real quickly. There's these two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim is plush, is full of all kinds of fruit trees and all kinds of food. It's a place that you would want to live. On the other side, Mount Ebal is all rocky and it's bare. It's not the place you would want to live. God brings the children of Israel and he puts them right smack in the middle of them. And he says to them, guys, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You have to make a choice. It's me, and you receive blessings, or you choose to follow yourself, your own gods, and you receive curses. And then God gave him an object. And listen, look at this mountain here. That's what you can have if you choose me. However, if you choose the curses, then you will go away from me. If you choose to rebel against me, if you choose to reject me, then you will be no more. God gives to us a choice. Now, what I want you to do is to see what this loving God looks like. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Here's the second one. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet still still sinners, Christ died for us. That sounds to me like a God of love, doesn't it? And that's what he did. In the midst of all of this sin, in the midst of all of this world, God made a way. He paved a way so that you and I could get to him. So then, Pastor Bob, what's the question we should ask? There is a question we should ask, and this is the question that we should ask. If God is love, then why do some people go to hell? Great question. Look at what the Scriptures teach us about this in Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. 
who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So according to this scripture verse, here's what God is saying. There is no one who has ever lived on the face of this planet who, doesn't, who, is, who, who is without excuse. Everybody has seen evidence of God. And they have a choice then. They can choose to be or to receive what God has given to us, or they can choose to reject him. Three things I want you to remember. Here's the first one. The Bible tells us that they suppress the truth. What does that mean? It means they push it down. It means they don't just reject the truth. It means that they don't want to hear about it. It means that they're saying, I don't want a God in my life. I want to be my own God. I can do what I want, when I want. And so what do they do? They suppress, they push it down so they don't have to deal with the reality. Here's the second thing. God has made himself known. God has made himself known. There's no excuse And God, as he has made himself, will judge us according to how he has made himself known. Not everybody is going to have a a teaching like this where we're sitting in front of a scripture. There are some people that will have very little. But God, the Bible tells us, has revealed himself to where no one is without excuse. And here's the last thing I want you to remember is this. He is a just God. What does that mean? That means sin must be punished. Because here's what I want you to remember. When sin is tolerated, then God is no longer a holy God. And so God took care of that. And he took care of it by sending his son Jesus to pay the price that you and I were meant to pay. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. It's not, how can a loving God send someone to hell The real question to me is this, how could anyone reject a loving God? And so this morning, as we bring our service to a close, I just want to challenge you this morning. And I know that God has been working in lives here today. How do we know that? Because we just sang that song that God is here and wherever God is, guess what? He's always working. And maybe it's for you sitting at home. Maybe you've gone through like some of us have where we've seen a lot of people where the Lord has called them home. And you know what? Maybe we've had that, that, that inclining in our life where we're just not sure and we want to be sure. Maybe you're here today and you know what? You know God has been pushing buttons in your life for quite a while now and you've just been ignoring him. But I want you to know that the Bible tells us that today salvation has come to this place. Today's your time. You can know where you're going to spend eternity. And it's not in hell. It's in heaven with him. 
I want you to know that I believe without a shadow of a doubt that on the day that the Lord calls me home, I know where I'm gonna be. How do I know that? Because I have the security of knowing and the spirit of the living God that lives in me that reminds me that I belong to him. And all you simply have to do is follow what Caitlin did this morning on Wednesday through the help of one of our pastors she asked Jesus to come into her heart she doesn't know all the answers she doesn't know all the things to do but she felt a prompting in her life and she followed that prompting and she asked Jesus to be in her heart and now God has a great plan for her she belongs to him and in baptism she identified herself with her with him she said to all of you here today I made that decision and now I'm telling you, I have identified myself in his death and in his resurrection. I am a child of God. And you can do that too here this morning. And so what I'd like you to do, I would just love for you if you would just bow your heads, please. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And you know what, maybe you've made that decision. Pray that somebody else might make that decision today. Ask the Holy Spirit to give that power to that individual where he is prodding, just to take that next step. If you've been unsure about eternity, if you've heard that voice of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, and you wanna make that change day, you want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want you right now, wherever you are in this room, I just want you to look up at me. Just look up at me and make eye contact with me. Good. Good. With eyes closed and head bowed, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, today I have heard from you. For a while now, I felt the promptings of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I'm tired of running. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, but I know that through the Holy Spirit, you're going to show me. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I confess to you that I need a savior. And I receive the gift of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross in my stead. And as my savior, I also turn my life over to him. And I ask him to be the Lord of my life. I make my plans, but I want Jesus to order my steps. Father, thank you for this incredible gift. And Father, I look forward to this journey that I have with you now. Thank you for bringing me to this place. Thank you that I now call you my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to get involved in church. 
I'm going to learn what it means to be discipled, and I'm going to grow in my faith. Knowing that it may be two steps forward and one step back, but I'm going to commit my life to this. And I look forward to what you're going to do in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you made that prayer today, and I know there are several of you in here today, I want you to tell somebody, I want you to tell somebody here at the church. And if you're online and you made that commitment, I just want you to text Jesus and we'll be in touch with you. We're not gonna just allow you to walk this journey by yourself. This is a journey that we're gonna walk together. And I just wanna say to you, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. It's so great to have you here. So now I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna give you the benediction that comes from our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and his joy. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.